In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt Kelly and I take a deep dive into the recent LexisNexis Risk Solution Report, looking at the cost of financial crimes compliance. It's a harbinger of compliance cost across the board. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance, for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt, how are you doing today? Uh, We're doing just fine up here in Boston today, Tom. Thank you very much. So, Matt, uh, last week you wrote a post entitled Financial Crime Compliance Costs Keep Going Up, and it uh, cited to a LexisNexis Risk Solution Report that caught your eye. Uh, what was it that caught your eye about this report and what led to the blog post? Well, uh, the, the report is interesting, I suppose, more than anything else, because it offers a lot of granular data on compliance program spending. Now, yes, this is primarily for financial firms that are worried more about uh, money laundering, tax evasion, uh, illicit finance, other things like that, hence the financial crime compliance part of the title. But I still think that it is useful for anybody, first off, in banking or financial services, if you want to place yourself into a context against others, uh, you can take a look by geography. You can take a look at specific compliance challenges and see what others are doing and try and figure out if your own budget and spending are are normal. Uh, Aside from that, there was this other secondary thing. We can talk about some of the findings, but basically... The costs of financial crimes compliance went way up in 2020, and that seems to be caused, I think, by COVID-19, and that may not be a surprise, but then that leads me to some questions about how much were changes in spending in 2020 due to COVID, how much were those changes, are they going to be a transitory thing that might get reversed uh, in 2021 and beyond, or how much are they a permanent thing given the difficult regulatory climate that financial compliant, that financial firms face. So there's a lot that you could ponder here if you're in this field, and it's a good report worthy of study. So Matt, let's, let's start with uh, the 2020 as an, an, an anomaly or perhaps not. Uh, I would have thought that with the working in home, from home environment, certainly by many financial crime compliance practitioners, in the financial industry, uh, we would have uh, not seen a dramatic growth, but uh, that appears to have been incorrect in terms of the uh, overall cost for financial crimes compliance. Did I get that part right? Uh, Pretty much, yeah. So the biggest picture is that globally, uh, this report surveyed more than 1,000 compliance officers at financial firms around the world Uh, And globally, all of them, collectively, their compliance costs rose about 23 percent from 2019 to 2020, went from 130 billion to 160 billion, which is right about where that 23 percent comes from. Um, So the spending went up a lot. And then what was most interesting to me was that for a lot of firms, mid-sized firms, large firms, firms around the world and whatnot, um, almost uh, unanimously, these firms spent most of that increased spending on labor as opposed to technology. And I'll give you an example of what I mean. 
So for financial firms in North America, labor costs had accounted for 53% of the budget in 2019, and then they jumped to 59% in 2020. Meanwhile, tech costs dropped from 47% in 2019 to 37% in 2020. And you can take a look at that, uh, the LexisNexis report, and I stole a few nifty images uh, and put it on my blog post, but the report has a lot of good graphical um, representations of that pattern across markets, across the whole globe, and then Asia Pacific, EMEA, Latin America, North America. And it was all like a majority of this increased spending and a majority of the budgets now go to labor. And uh, we can talk about why that is, but you would have thought that I can remember just a few years ago, financial firms were saying we have to put the brakes on spending on people and invest more in technology to make better use of the people we have. And that pretty much went out the window for 2020. Is that because of COVID and all of the disruptions? Is it because of more pressure for better money laundering? And how many big settlements did we see coming specifically out of Europe with like every bank in um, Scandinavia getting in trouble with some sort of money laundering failure in the last year or so? And how much is it being driven by that? Um, If any listeners out there had some observations, I'd be eager to hear them. But that was one big thing about spending that jumped out at me is it's a lot of it is on labor rather than technology. Man, I guess I don't see that as too anomalous because when you ramp up your hiring, uh, it's certainly valid to ramp up your labor hiring. It's also valid to uh, ramp up your tech hiring and then su- supplement uh, with the other uh, component uh, if there's a strategy to do so. And if the strategy is we're going to bring people in and then we're later going to bring in tech solutions that they that they then can utilize for a much more comprehensive uh, review of compliance, that that is at least certainly a valid way to think through that. Or you think perhaps something else is going on? Well, your phrase there, if you have a strategy, I think is the key phrase. Um, and I would not be surprised if, frankly, a lot of firms didn't have a strategy for coping with the global pandemic in March of 2020. Uh, I did not. I think a lot of companies did not. I think a lot of them said, oh, crap, we have all of these new burdens coming down on us. What can we do? Let's just throw bodies at the problem, Um, which is a short term tactical thing, stalling for time while you then develop the strategy. Um, It's also worth noting that, you know, what was the work that was consuming a lot of financial firms? Um, Because the LexisNexis report looks at that, too. And a lot of it is was things like customer due diligence. risk profiling, resolving suspicious activity alerts. And I have seen many white papers. I have attended many webinars over the last five years or so that said those specific things, customer due diligence, risk profiling, SAR reports and getting them resolved and trying to figure out which ones are legit, which ones aren't. We're all supposed to be embracing technology to resolve those without hiring a whole lot of bodies. And that had been the mantra for at least since 2016 or so. And that's not what happened. We did the opposite. We did not invest in a lot more technology. A lot of the costs went to labor. So we were throwing people there. And what is especially interesting is you. this report even gets granular about which level of experience firms are hiring. And again, going back to North America, most of the new hiring in North America uh, was at the entry level. 
Um, the average full-time equivalent size uh, for entry level went from 51 to 64 bodies uh, at the entry level. But meanwhile, at the 10 plus years of experience, the number of staffers firms were reporting there went from 35 down to 30. So all you mid-career or senior people who might find yourselves uh, out of work, like that, that may fit, you know, that, that seems to be going on. Um, so I, I guess my bigger question is how much is this really being driven by COVID that, you know, we flooded the banks with liquidity. There was an awful lot of business that could be done there. A lot of banks did report brisk earnings by the end of 2020 or brisk uh, increase in assets. Um, but that translates into new compliance obligations because you got more customers doing more transactions. Somebody has to evaluate all of that somehow. And we had to do that while we were all moving to remote work over the course of three days in March. And so let's just hire more people. We'll figure out the tech later. That narrative, Tom, I got to say, I think that might fit as much as having a grand strategy that we're going to staff up first and then develop technology later. Um, both of these theories, these possible possible uh, strategies, they're both equally plausible, in my opinion. And uh, I'll be curious to see which one is the correct one if we look back at this by 2023 or so. We'll be back in a moment. Matt, before we get to the issue of cryptocurrency, I wanted to ask you, did anything in this report uh, focus on not financial crimes compliance, but financial institution risk management? Because even in 2021, we've had some catastrophic failures in that area around Archegos uh, and Greensill out of the United Kingdom. And even today, uh, on the front page of the Financial Times was an allegation of a $10 billion Forex uh, customer churn uh, program run by BNP Paribas and perhaps uh, some other uh, banks as well. Uh, any indication that these numbers of hires went to what the banks call risk management as opposed to um, financial crimes compliance? It, they didn't really single out risk management per se in the way that you're talking about. But I, I would say that your point is a very good one, that this is how poor risk management and poor customer analysis and risk profiles, that's how it gets out of hand. And then suddenly you have a $5 billion mistake on your balance sheet, which is exactly what happened with Credit Suisse and that blow up with Archegos Capital. Um, it's not quite the same as financial crimes. I don't know that there was a crime committed with Archegos as much as it was just really bad risk management and really misunderstanding your exposure. And there was only one customer to perform due diligence on there, the CEO of Archegos, Bill Huang. Um, on the other hand, you could say that the more senior level brain intensive risk evaluation and the ability to look at all of your exposure to one specific stock across multiple counterparties suddenly adds up to a great big exposure to risk to company X that they're all invested in. Like that's what broke down with Archegos and Credit Suisse in particular, but Credit Suisse was just one of several banks that made that mistake. Um, it's a good point. It is adjacent to what the LexisNexis survey was looking at, but 
I would say these things go hand in hand or maybe hand over hand. If you don't have good risk profiling and good uh, risk analysis at the, the granular level, it's you, once you get up to the big process or entity level, you got no idea what's really going on. And that's exactly what happened with Greensill. Um, although there are plenty of allegations of actual corruption and uh, misconduct with Greensill, um, it is what happened with Archegos, uh, and it's probably happened elsewhere in many other firms. Uh, Matt, you have written, I would say, a fair amount about cryptocurrency, and you've looked at it from a variety of regulatory angles. Uh, last uh, or two weeks ago, the president uh, released a statement on corruption as a national security issue, and you actually saw that through the lens of cryptocurrency. All of this is in 2021. Uh the year after this um, LexisNexis risk solutions report, do you see uh, a need for even more spending on financial crimes compliance uh, with uh, what we've seen in crypto in 2021 to date and now the Biden administration announcement? Well, it's more like I see more attention coming to crypto and I'm hard pressed to see how it doesn't translate into more spending for figuring out compliance with this. Um, and again, the, another nifty factoid from the LexisNexis report is that they actually look at what financial compliance tasks are hardest and top of mind for various parts of the world and various banks. So, for example, in North America, the most prominent and top of mind and challenging compliance tasks last year, uh, that was sanction screening and customer risk profiling. In Europe... Uh, however, both of those numbers for those two things were considerably less. Um, you know, North America, a majority of uh, financial compliance officers were talking about sanction screening and customer risk profiling as big problems, I think 65 and 58 percent. It was less than 50 percent in Europe. So there's a disconnect. Different parts of the world <clears throat> are challenged by different financial, financial crimes compliance tasks. Uh, but Ultimately, when we're talking about financial crimes compliance, so much of that is customer due diligence, risk profiling. And then after that, you can start to snap into a place things like sanction screening and everything else that comes along. And then cryptocurrency is all about customer anonymity, uh, which is why we have this epidemic of ransomware happening right now. And that's why the Biden administration is saying we got to knock this off with illicit finance. Uh, with cybersecurity, with ransomware, show me the world where all of that talk about cracking down on the abuses doesn't lead to more effort to get to the true identity of cryptocurrency traders, participants, whatever you want to call them. I typically call a lot of them thieves, but that's just me. Um, you know, if you wind up putting more customer due diligence obligations around crypto specifically, it is a new asset class. It is going to be tricky to do all of that. Financial firms are going to have to figure out how would we do that sort of extra due diligence or extra reporting and analysis on an asset class that is particularly, you know, it was designed to evade government attention. Um, so that brings me back to answer your original question. How is that not going to result in more spending? Now, I don't know what the spending will be. I don't know if it's going to be some grand technology solution or we're going to hire a bunch of uh, compliance analysts who are going to chase down every suspicious crypto transaction in the world, which is all of them. Um, 
So I, I'm not sure, but I I can't imagine a scenario where the Biden administration and the Securities and Exchange Commission does not lean on crypto a bit more. And then that is ultimately going to lead to more spending for compliance and assurance around these transactions. Um, that's going to be a given. But get back to me in two years and we'll see how it's a given. I'm, I'm not sure yet. Well, Matt, I found this to be a fascinating report. Uh, looking back over the past year, we will probably have a few more reports in 2021. Uh, and then to your point that uh, if you didn't start this podcast with you, certainly raised in your blog post, it will be interesting to see what, if any, of these trends are carried forward into 2021 and indeed beyond. Yeah, I would agree, Tom. Thank you. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. I'm extraordinarily pleased to introduce the latest podcast addition to the Compliance Podcast Network, the ESG Report. The ESG has become one of the most ubiquitous phrases of 2021. I'm therefore starting a new podcast dedicated to that topic. In my first two episodes, it is a one-part premiere where I visit with Tricia Dascom from Silver And we talk about the regulatory and investment framework around ESG and what that means for the compliance professional. So check out the ESG report on the Compliance Podcast Network. I hope you will join Matt and I again next week as we explore another compliance topic literally going into the weeds. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.